What's going on, everybody? Welcome into 104.3 The Fans Coffee Break. Will Peterson, Rachel V. Hill, hanging out with you today. We've got a fun show. One, the new owners have arrived out at UC Health Training Center. That's super exciting. So we can talk a little bit about the ownership. I want to talk to Will about Randy Gregory a little bit, something I actually wanted to touch on last week. Just didn't get around to it. And then we've actually got a Cowboys beat reporter joining us to kind of break down what we should be expecting to see out of the Cowboys as they head out to UC Health Training Center tomorrow too so a big show well how are you i got some cool news for you actually go ahead but you you first no i'm doing well uh i i am excited to hear the cool news so let's not keep the people waiting okay i like it so pardon it pardon the take pardon my take pardon the interruption Who's pardon the my take you get those very confused yes. i do all the time literally all the time anyways they're out at ucl training center and our very own richie carney got social video of them talking to us so you love to see it. That's an exciting, I just got the text. So I'm like super pumped up about that one. Yeah. That's a PFT commenter and Barstool big cat. Um, you know, there's some controversy obviously around the Barstool brand. Uh, but I will say this real quick. I don't endorse a lot of things Barstool does, but when I was at Super Bowl 50, I got to meet PFT commenter at the media party and, uh, him and a famous Deadspin writer, Drew McGarry, no longer with Deadspin, but, a guy who's written a couple books that I've read and liked, and they could not have been nicer guys. I hung out with them for most of the evening at one of those media parties. I mean, Rachel, this is one of those things when like Stephen A. Smith asked me to pass the guacamole, you know? So it's like, it's kind of like, whoa, like I, I know who all these people are. It's kind of fun. So um, yes, a little controversial, but PFT commenter was nice to me. The one time we met, granted, that was like six years ago now. You know, I I understand the controversy behind bar stools, but I also have to kind of back them up because it's how people talk about sports, right? Like, obviously, there's some issues behind the scenes, but people enjoy bar stools because that's how you talk to your friends about a lot of sports, and they just kind of give an inside look. So um, it's a cool, personally, that I think they're out there. Uh, obviously, it just means more big names are showing up to Broncos practice. We've seen a lot of people out there. Ian Rappaport was out there. You know, James Palmer is always out there. But we've seen so many big names, and that's because Russ is bringing in a lot of spotlight around him. And I'm here for it. Let's keep all these night games going on and everything like that this season. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, obviously, way more attention around the Broncos than there's been in years and years. But let's be honest. It's a little funny that those guys are out there today when Robson Walton and, you know, Greg Penner and Kerry Walton Penner and Condoleezza Rice and Melody Hobson are there as well. Like, come on, Rachel. I don't think the Broncos could have scripted that, hey, we're introducing our new billionaire owners. And, oh, by the way, these two guys are out here today, too. Quite the coincidence. And uh, I'm sure the PR staff is going to do their best to keep one of those groups on one side and one of the groups on the other side, I can't imagine there's a lot of interaction on the very, I mean, I guess it's the second day of the Walton Penner ownership, but the first day, obviously, they're at Dove Valley running the show. Okay, well, we got to get into this because this is, it's a big day. We're going to hear from them. We heard a little bit from them yesterday, but we're going to hear from them in front of the media here in Denver today. And I guess, first of all, we've got clips of them, the very own Mike Kliss. He got a very, very short clip, so we're going to replay it a few times for you here right now. But it's just exciting that this is all happening. I mean, I don't I don't want to be weird and, like, nostalgic about it, but we're getting to cover a new ownership group. This kind of stuff doesn't happen all that often. Yeah, we got Robson getting off the golf cart. Uh, looks like 
He's either voice messaging or talks on speakerphone. So we've learned one of our first fun facts about Robson Walton. And, and Rachel, on a more serious note, I was on with Sandy and Sean last night, uh-huh. and we were sort of reminiscing about the Bowling era, obviously a 38-year reign, a great reign, uh, especially from Pat. The trust did a nice job. Hell, they won a Super Bowl when they were in the trust. So people want to uh, poo-poo the trust, but let's they won a Super Bowl when Joe Ellis and Mary Kelly and Rich Schliffka were running the show. Obviously, the last five, six years have not been good enough. Joe Ellis has said that multiple times. Mm-hmm. But, Rachel, that press conference was in July of 2014 when Joe Ellis and John Elway had a very tearful, very heartfelt press conference announcing that Pat Bowen would be stepping away from the Broncos to focus on his health. Mm-hmm. If you had told me it's going to be eight years until we get a resolution of this, I would have thought you were crazy. We all thought this trust thing was going to last maybe a season, maybe two at most, and then either a Bowen child would take over or the team would be sold. The fact that we're at the finish line eight years later and today is the day is kind of crazy. It is, and I do like that you notice that he's either doing a voice message or he talks on speakerphone, and I just noticed the dad shoes, too. So you love to see it. Welcome to Broncos Country, Walton Penner Family Ownership Group. Looking good. I'm excited for the press conference later on today. We're going to have an In the Sports Office blog that will come out later, too, so make sure you stay tuned to that. But you all can feel like you were um, there in a sort of way. But let's get into, because a lot of people are expecting some changes to be made. What would you like to see the first big change be, Will? I think you have to start laying the groundwork for a new stadium. Um, Obviously, Mm -hmm. Greg Penner said yesterday that he thinks it's premature to discuss that. Listen, he had just taken over ownership like a half hour before. So I didn't think he was going to get up there and say, yep, last year of Empower Field and the the new project starts tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But I do think that that's a, a key uh, decision for them. And I think Stan Kroenke's comments were interesting yesterday as well, that there may be some willingness to work together. Rachel, I've said all along, how can we keep this stadium downtown, right? Mm-hmm. And Stan Kroenke has a ton of land downtown, including, oh, by the way, Illich Gardens. And we've seen plans that have leaked for an abs and nuggets practice facility and his media oh. conglomerate to be over there and all this and that. But now I'm starting to wonder How can we get creative if we're going to dump Illiches, and sorry to the Illiches fans out there, to put the new Broncos stadium there? I think it's important that the Broncos stadium stay downtown. I think it's critical. I like the fact that when I'm on I-25, I drive by it and say, oh, that's where the Broncos play. Do you know how many millions of people each year that aren't from Denver drive by that and now have some geographical sense of where it is? If it's out by the airport, yeah, you're going to get people coming in on their flights going, we're in Kansas. Why is there a football stadium out here? So I do think the stadium is the number one priority, but I keep hearing this airport thing, airport thing, build it out there, build a new plaza out there, do it like Glendale. No, I really want the stadium to stay downtown, but that doesn't mean I want to keep in power field. I think it definitely needs to be knocked down. I heard Mike Pliss last night say, well, they could make upgrades. They could make improvements. I don't think you want to go the upgrade improvement route because then you're just bleeding money into something you're going to knock down in the next 10 years anyways. Just play there another four or five years while you figure out where the new stadium is going to be. And like I said, I hope that means that the stadium stays in downtown Denver. 
I do too. And actually Jake and I talked about this yesterday. We want the stadium to stay downtown, but a lot of people do want it to be out by the airport, which I find it so interesting. So I guess let us know in the comments if you would like it to be downtown or out in the airport, wherever the heck you think the stadium should go. Maybe some people think it should be in like Aspen. I don't know, just something crazy. So let us know where you think. The I don't think they'd get 80,000 people in the stands if it was in Aspen. That's a Pretty exclusive. Kind of tough to get to. I'm just throwing wild ideas out there. Wherever you think the stadium should go, let us know in the comments. We would love to know. Um, Our very own Jake Shapiro did say, though, a lot of Broncos are not practicing. He let us know in the back end. So Handler's out, Cleveland, Darby Gordon, Austin McAllister, um, Mooty, Braden, Dulcich, DJ Jones. And I always say his name wrong. And I promise myself I'm going to get it by the start of the season. Ooh, he's a draft pick. Will hit me with it. I think it's a Wuzurike. Thank um, you. But the not my mid, list. But the I have round to pick. Listen, I think today was going to be a jog through, regardless. I mean, what, Rachel? We're forty minutes into practice. I haven't seen a single tweet that they've done any sort of interesting drills or anything like that. The schedule only had them going to eleven thirty. Anyhow, as we've learned as camp has gone on, the eleven thirty is the indication that it's not a real practice. Mm-hmm. And as I've said all along, I hope the fans have learned that by now. But, Rachel, you still know there are people sitting on that hill who drove in from Grand Junction, who drove in from Pueblo. It's the one day they could go to camp, and they're not going to get to see any live action. So that remains a bummer to me. But at the same time, at this point in camp, I'm sorry. That's kind of what we knew. And, listen, if you were planning on making a big road trip, I hope you planned it for tomorrow when the Cowboys are here. I will say, though, for those people, I think – a lot of people don't come out as much to watch practice, but more in hopes to get autographs. And we have to talk about Russell Wilson because every single day after practice of camp, he has spent at least 30 minutes going down the line and signing as many people as he possibly can. So you, I have to, a whole world of respect for him because one, it's hot out there. I'm out there for like five minutes and I'm sweating. I can't imagine two hours and then taking the additional 30 minutes in whatever the heck you're wearing, if you're wearing full pads or just your practice stuff, but that's a lot of time and effort. So I do got to give credit to there, but yeah, if you're going out strictly to see football, I kind of hope you've been listening to all of us talk and picked a better day than today. But tomorrow I anticipate a lot of people out there. Will, what do you think? Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of people and I think there's going to be a lot of Cowboys gear. Uh, Ooh, you you know, do. Oh, I do. Yeah. I mean, listen, the Cowboys are a huge draw wherever they go. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of people from Texas who have moved up to Denver. And uh, if, if it's your one chance to see the Cowboys and you live in Colorado, then you're either A, going to the game Saturday night, or B, you have practice circled. And honestly, a lot of people are probably doing both. Um, yeah, I think the Hill will be about 50-50 Broncos fans and Cowboys fans. I really do. I think we'll see a lot of Ezekiel Elliott, Dak Prescott, C.D. Lamb jerseys out there, Trayvon Diggs. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, all the media is excited to see Jared Jones walking around and we're sort of hoping, you know, Jerry's a man of the people. He's never found a camera he doesn't like. He's never found a microphone he doesn't like. He's not like some owners. You know, some owners, they do an interview once every five years and it's a big deal. Jerry Jones does one after every Cowboys game. He sits in the tunnel and critiques his team's performance. So that will be fascinating to watch. I've told Richie Carney, try your best to get him on the fan because, again, he's never said no uh, to a camera or a microphone, and it's going to be a whole different atmosphere out there. But, yeah, I, I don't know. You seem you seem surprised about my Cowboys fan prediction. I think there's going to be a lot of blue and white out there tomorrow. I guess I just didn't really think about it, so it wouldn't surprise me with you said as many people that have moved from Texas to Colorado. 
that's a really good point. But I guess I just haven't put like all that much thought into it. But maybe I don't. I don't know. I, I mean, guess. what do you think the stadium's going to look like on Saturday? Because we've talked about it. That's the most expensive preseason ticket in the NFL. Fifty bucks to get in the door. Last time I checked. For context, you can go into Broncos Bills for seven bucks. I know Broncos country is excited about Russell Wilson, but I don't think it's all Broncos fans driving that bad boy up to fifty bucks for a freaking preseason game. I think it's a lot of Cowboys fans going to be at Empower Field on Saturday night as well. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, I'll give that to you. Um, let's talk a little bit about Randy Gregory because you wrote a great article for DenverFan.com on how you think he's actually closer to be being ready than not being out there for week one. Yeah, James Merrillac got mad at me because he said I was reading the tea leaves, and I was like, well, no, I'm just using my eyes to observe. And and I should I should clarify, he wasn't mad. He was saying it in jest when I went on with, with him and Stokely, but he said, you know, I'm connecting the dots, whatever. But the dots that I connected were – Hey, we've seen Randy Gregory almost every day with a big smile on his face and a good mood. Yes, I know he's on the side field, but he's on PUP. So what do you expect? And then Nathaniel Hackett interrupted a press conference last week to go, hey, Randy, how you doing? And it was just this fun, loving, smiling, happy, slappy thing. And then a couple days later, he got a more serious question. And he said, we're still aiming for week one with Randy Gregory. They have not pumped the brakes at all on Gregory. So I think there's sort of been this manufactured like, Oh boy, what if we don't see him till October? What if we don't see him till November? Like the GM said at the media barbecue two weeks ago, he wants Gregory in week one. And then the head coach confirmed last week after interrupting a press conference to say hello to him, he wants him in week one. I don't know where my tinfoil hat is, but it seems like there's a lot of conspiracy theorists out there who just don't think Randy Gregory is going to be ready to go in week one. I think all signs point till he'll get activated off PUP at some point in the next couple of weeks and he'll play week one in Seattle. How big of an impact will he make week one, or do you think it's going to be more of a slow grind and hopefully by middle of season he's the one where he's really making an impact? I mean, the good news is they, they're so deep at pass rusher, right? We, yeah. We've talked about him and Chubb and Malik Reed and Jonathan Cooper and Baron Browning, and, and the list goes on, and I think it's going to be a waves thing. We've heard that term, come at you in waves, rotational thing. So if Gregory can play like – I don't know, 40, 50% of the snaps in Seattle, that's fine. Like, we don't need him out there for 80% of the snaps. Play half the game, get a sack, b- uh, blow up Geno Smith, blow up Drew Locke, whoever it is, on, on uh, under center for the Seahawks, and uh, that'll be worth it for week one. Now, come week 12, I think we'll have a tighter rotation and a, and a more clear indicator of who the top two or three pass rushers on this team and. Obviously, when you gave Gregory $70 million, you're hoping he's one of those two or three guys. But I just think if even if he can give you half the snaps in Seattle for week one after a guy who had offseason shoulder surgery, then that's a successful debut. Absolutely. Well, we're super excited to welcome in Kyle Yomas from, um, from Dallas. Excuse me real quick. We're super excited, Kyle, to first of all have you. <laughs> how are you? It caught me off guard for a second, but how are you? I'm great. How are you guys? I'm. Uh, it's funny because we're we're about to uh, here in the next, I guess, hour, hour and a half. We're heading on the buses, and then we're coming up to to Denver. Get to get to get to come see the Mile High City here for a little bit. Well, we're super stoked that you were able to take some time to join us. Thank you so much. But we got to get into this because, first of all, we're excited to have joint practices back here in Denver. It's been a few years since they had the 49ers in town, but to have the Cowboys come into town, you know, we were just talking about Jerry Jones and stuff like that. There's so many big names, but also so many question marks still for the Broncos team. So I want to get your idea. Where has been the biggest strengths so far for the Cowboys at training camp? 
Yeah, it's really it's interesting because you, you mentioned the question marks for Denver. It's very much so the same thing for the Cowboys side of things. I mean, there's a lot of question marks, even though there is talent still on this roster. And of course, the loss in the wild card round to San Francisco was where you you felt like that talent fell short. And so that brings, of course, question marks into the offseason. Honestly, the, the strengths have been the front seven uh, and, and really the defense as a whole. I mean, really, the, the Micah Parsons edition last year, we all saw uh, a national scale of what he did uh, with his 13 sacks as a rookie, defensive rookie of the year, and, and he's going to continue to do so. Uh, he, he's looked absolutely incredible whenever it comes to camp, and he hadn't even been able to hit anybody yet. I mean, we, we just barely got the pads on, and he's still looking like uh, he's, he's going to be in the conversation as one of the best pass rushers in the league. Uh, Dallas has really invested a lot in their defensive line over the last couple of drafts. They took a second-rounder in Sam Williams, Ole Miss uh, edge rusher, who set the single-season pass – or, excuse me, sack record for Ole Miss last year – uh, he's turned around and he looks like he could be a rookie that can maybe replace Randy Gregory, who of course is now with you guys. And uh, that's probably the biggest loss on the defense, but everybody else really returns. And, and so I think that's really where the strength has been so far is the front seven of this Cowboys team and the pass rush that they're going to be able to provide. All right, Kyle, that's interesting because the Broncos O-line has been a, uh, a daily dose of panic here in Denver. So we'll have to see how that matchup goes tomorrow. But you mentioned something that they haven't been hitting. Practice has been pretty light. Hey, that's the same way it's been here in Denver. It's Nathaniel Hackett's first training camp, and mm-hmm. people are starting to get frustrated. And And we sort of had wow. this Cowboys uh, joint practice circled because we said we're finally going to get to see real football. I'm not so sure. What is your vibe on what the Cowboys want to get accomplished tomorrow? Will it be physical? Will there be any hitting at all? And are the Cowboys feeling chippy? Do you think they're ready for some sort of scrum or fight? <laughs> you know, I, I, I honestly will. I, I feel like you've been watching our stuff, like are watching our content on the website, because yesterday was the most physical and chippy practice we've had in Oxnard. Because it, it really has. It's been kind of like what you talked about. It, it's been light. It's been touch-ups. It's been just back and forth, a couple of hits there. Nothing crazy. Yesterday came unhinged for a little bit, and, and they kept it under control. There wasn't a fight, and that's the good thing about it. But I really do think there is a bit of a ramp up getting ready for Denver. It's getting to the point where this team really doesn't like watching uh, the guys on the other side of the line of scrimmage being their own teammates. They want to be able to go up and test their moxie up against a, a challenging opponent. And I, I really do think Denver's talented as a ball club all the way up and down. And some of their strengths line up with some of the Cowboys' weaknesses. And that's where I think Mike McCarthy wants to get the most out of this practice. He wants to see how well we can stop the run, or I guess the Cowboys can stop the run. I'm not putting on a helmet. Uh, How well the Cowboys can stop the run. That's a big thing for this team moving forward is is they had the blueprint last year from Denver. I mean, you guys came out and and beat the Cowboys 30-16 to at AT AT&T Stadium. That was the first time a defense really shut down this Cowboys offense. And then from then on out, the Cowboys struggled week in, week out, depending on the matchup. They didn't necessarily play the same style of football that they did. So you got to stop the run. You got to be able to establish the run. Those were two things that they didn't do against Denver last year. And they're going to try and do that this season as well. Kyle, that game was such a stunner for everybody here in Denver. I just remember being like, what did I just watch? Because no one was expecting that. But Uh, I'm definitely ready to see some hitting hopefully tomorrow and to kind of get a real true test because we really have not seen anything here in Denver. So which matchup are you looking forward to seeing most tomorrow? 
I really I'm excited to see what this offensive line can do, because at least from the starting offensive line standpoint, I mean, you bring back guys like Tyron Smith, Zach Martin, who are all pros. They're 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 pro bowlers year in and year out. Uh, But then you've got a lot of question marks. Tyler Biotish enters his third year at center. Terrence Steele enters his third year second as a starter at right tackle, and he hasn't necessarily had a great training camp so far. So I want to see what they do up against the Denver front seven. I want to see what that defensive line can do to this offensive line and how they respond, because I fully expect there to be pressure on Dak Prescott while he's in the pocket. I expect that pocket to collapse and it to not be a ton of time to throw. However, on the other side of things, I really do think Denver is going to provide some some growth for that offensive line for them to, to kind of figure things out and work out some of the kinks that they haven't been able to work out here in California. Kyle, last one for me. Let's flash forward to Saturday night. I asked Nathaniel Hackett at practice yesterday if the Broncos starters will play. He was, of course, noncommittal. I think he's <laughs> going to base it a lot on how tomorrow goes, honestly. I think if they come out and they're competitive, all the Broncos starters will be in street clothes. And I think if it's a sloppy practice he's not happy with, then the guys may play a, a series or two or even the first quarter on Saturday night. Your vibe of who will see Saturday night, if you have any news, and can we expect Dak or CD or Zeke or Trayvon or, or any of the big names on your roster? I think you, you're you're spot on with the, the thought process for Denver is probably going to be very much so similar for Dallas because it's it's a controlled chaos tomorrow with that joint practice. You, you don't hit the quarterbacks. You, you have some things that you can control from a defensive standpoint and some, I guess, collusion back and forth of, of knowing the play call and, and knowing what you're testing and trying to see how your players respond. You'll see all the starters tomorrow. I think CD will be out there. He had a day off yesterday. Trayvon Diggs, the same thing. He'll be out there tomorrow. Both offensive linemen that you just mentioned will be out there. And then, of course, Dak Prescott will lead the practice. I don't expect a ton of them to go, if any of them to go. Uh, whenever it comes to the the week one preseason game, you're going to see some starters. Uh, I mean, like I mentioned with Terrence Steele, I think Zach Smith, who uh, or excuse me, Tyler Smith, who was the first round draft pick out of Tulsa, 24th overall pick in April. Uh, he's probably going to play a significant amount of time with that offensive line come Saturday. But really, when it comes to Dak, Zeke, CD, uh, Trayvon, Micah, and then the, the offensive lineman was Zach Martin and Tyron Smith. I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of those guys on Saturday, if at all. They may need, they may not play in the preseason because this practice with Denver tomorrow is the first of three joint practices the Cowboys are doing. They're doing one tomorrow with Denver, and then next week we come back to California, we travel to L.A., and we t- there's the, the, the Chargers that go back-to-back days of joint practices. So – There's three different joint practices the Cowboys are doing. That's where they're going to see the majority of their time with the starters working. I think the most of the most of the preseason game is going to be youth and and guys that are trying to get up to speed for the season. All right, Kyle, last one for me. Where do you anticipate this Cowboys team landing, you know, this season? What record do you think they'll come out with? Are we talking playoffs? Are we talking Super Bowl? What's your anticipation for this team? I think every Cowboys fan in the world would just roll their eyes if I said anything more so than uh, a playoff appearance. Now, this team is talented enough that their ceiling, their pure ceiling could be a championship contender. 
whether or not they reach that ceiling is still very much so uh, out of the question. I mean, it's it's they haven't reached that ceiling in quite some time. That's ultimately what Mike McCarthy's biggest goal is this year is he needs to get the best out of these players because on paper they are an ultra talented team in terms of the way they work together and the way that things have looked. It doesn't necessarily look like they're ready to take that next step and to win a playoff game or two or three to make a run significant enough to where you get to an NFC championship game or you get to a Super Bowl. I'd say that the expectation just from an outside perspective, from a media perspective, is to to compete for the division, possibly be the favorite in the division. Now, Philly's gotten better. Washington's gotten better. New York's gotten better. You still should win the NFC East which would be the first time that there's been back-to-back winners in the, in this division since the mid-2000s. So it's been about 15 years, 16 years since that's happened, and the Cowboys are trying to do that this year. If they don't, it's a disappointing season. If they do, then they need to make a playoff run because that's what Cowboys fans expect. All right, Kyle. Well, we appreciate you. We'll look forward to seeing you out at UC Health Training Center tomorrow. Sounds good to me. See you guys there. Thanks, awesome. Kyle. Great stuff. Kyle Usman right there, the Dallas Cowboys reporter. We love having him on. And you know what else we love, Will? We're actually going to bring on our very own Jake Shapiro for this. But we love home runs and Rockies wins, especially when it's going up against Nolan Arenado. Rockies win 16-5 to last night. There's two more games in the series. But, my goodness, we had a huge home run last night. Jake, how are you? Good. You know, I'm just having a little coffee break over here, drinking it straight from the Good morning, Jake Shapiro. I love it. Hey, if I'm bouncing off the walls like a Ryan McMahon home run is bouncing off the walls, of course, field later, we'll know why. <laughs> we love it. We love it. Okay, well, let's break all of this down because not often that we've got a bunch of Rockies highlights to talk about. So first of all, they get the win, right? Over Nolan Arenado, which I know there's two more games in this series, so... Who knows how tonight will go or even tomorrow. But you guys, are you kidding me? To have a game like that up against a former teammate, Will? Yeah, it was, you know, I watched the first three innings and then I had seen enough because they were up 12 nothing, and they got 15 hits in the first three innings. I mean, we're not just sitting here, oh, they beat them 5-4 and it's cool to beat Nolan. They beat the snot out of the Cardinals. They embarrassed the Cardinals last night at Coors Field. And what made it sweeter it was a Cardinals home game. The whole stadium was in freaking red. They honored uh, two players, Albert Pools and Yadier Molina, before the game. They were catering to Dick Monfort wants to make money tonight, so every Cardinals fan should come to 20th and Blake, and the Rockies spoiled the party. And again, they spoiled it in a way that I haven't seen in some time. They embarrassed St. Louis last night. So Will watched history last night because he watched the first three innings of that game. Miles Mikolas, St. Louis's starter last night, allowed 14 hits in under three innings of work, which is a modern Major League Baseball record. That's the most hits allowed by a starting pitcher who had pitched less than three innings. And more history last night, and I know Rachel was about to toss to it, so I'm just going to jump the line. As Ryan McMahon goes so far deep. Runs, seven driven in. And this ball's club high and deep right center field. Take a good look. You won't see this below. Oh, man. Did you see where that landed? If it doesn't have a four and an eight, I'm going to be very disappointed. Okay. 
to hit it where Ryvik's hands are just driving straight through the baseball. So hanging curveball. Holy moly. Second deck over the visitors' bullpen. Nobody goes up there. That's over Helton's. My goodness, my goodness, my goodness. 495 yards. Number three in the longest home runs. Well, well, real quick, feet, feet. Yards would be a record. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Feet, feet, feet. Yes, you're correct. Thank you, Will. Thank you. Yards would be very, very long. That would be like, yeah. 495 yards would be a literal mile, I believe. Literally. Yes. Feet. Excuse me, Avery. 495 feet. Longest home run at Coors Field. Number three in the StatCast era since 2015. My goodness, though, guys. Ryan McMahon. How fun is that? Yeah. And we'll call out on that one, Will, because I I was just rolling through my own thoughts there. No, you're good. You're good. I, uh, I, you know, anyone who's familiar, like intimately with Coors Field knows that baseballs just don't travel to that part of the stadium. They just don't. I mean, we've seen upper deck shots, but the, those get yanked to right. That was almost an upper deck shot co- sort of close to center. I mean, guys, we're talking if he hits that to dead center field, I'm not saying it's the first ball to ever land in the rock pile, but it probably lands pretty high up off that hitter's wall behind the fountains and everything like that. I mean, it was one of the more ridiculous home runs to the point where we saw two or three replays on that clip we showed, and you still can't really tell where the ball lands. And you'll always notice the biggest home runs in baseball history, the camera always gets a little lost because it's not a place anyone's familiar with seeing exactly where a baseball ends up. I mean, that's an area of course field that sees a baseball maybe once a year in batting practice, let alone in a game. Yeah, I think I've probably seen more games at Coors Field than the rest of the fan staff combined, honestly, with just how many games I covered with the Rockies for the five years I was on the beat, right? Like, I've been to a lot of Rockies games. In fact, I've been I've seen the other two home runs that were hit the furthest in Coors Field history live in person. Um, so I can tell you when a ball gets hit that far, it is shocking. Um, Stanton's blast, which was a foot further, was 496. That didn't even make it all the way up the center field, the last section in center field. So 495, Will, I'm sorry to break your heart, but that's not even coming close to the rock pile still. So we still got to get maybe another 50 feet even behind it to get up to that rock pile. Um, What I will tell you is I've seen guys go to the part of the yard that Ryan McMahon did in batting practice maybe once or twice a year, which is above the Todd Helton retired number for those familiar with Coors Field, the 17 up above the bullpens. The furthest home runs I have seen at Coors Field were Shohei Otani in batting practice going above, not the second deck, but the third deck exactly where Ryan McMahon hit that shot. I estimate that that ball was hit 550 feet, the one I saw from Shohei Otani. I'm just guessing. Carlos Gonzalez, I've also seen hit that spot because Cargo was a menace to society from the left-handed side of the plate. Real quick, home run measurements are still an inexact science. I know exactly what you're talking about with Giancarlo. No way Giancarlo's ball went further than Ryan McMahon by one foot. So that's where I'm going to stand by. I think that hits three-quarters of the way up the the batter's eye if it goes to dead center field because I think Stanton's home run was mismeasured. I think it was more like 470, and I think Ryan's was probably over 500 feet last night. And to – to your point, Mike Piazza's longest home run at Coors Field history for a while until very recently was 496, and that landed on the concourse in center field. 
Okay, okay. Well, it's technology that we still don't quite have right, which is kind of crazy in 2022. Well, and this goes to my point, and I know we were going to bring this game up, Will. I was watching the Mariners-Yankees game last night, which was the best baseball game I've watched all season. And there were 200 pitches in that game thrown over 95 miles an hour, which is insanity. But part of the technology thing is we actually changed where we measured the pitcher's velocity about three, four years ago from – 50 feet out to 55 feet out. So it's where the pitcher releases it instead of where it's coming basically, you know, a little bit out of the hand. And Nolan Ryan and Walter Johnson back in their day, Walter Johnson way, way long ago, was actually speed measured uh, to 90 miles an hour, 95, 93 miles an hour-ish. Um, but the way they did it is they measured it crossing the plate. So by the time the ball reaches the plate, it's lost 10 to 15 miles per hour in velocity. Nolan Ryan once threw a 104-mile-an-hour fastball, but that was measured halfway between home plate and the throw. So Nolan uh, Ryan may have thrown 110 miles an hour. We still don't know. Like, we still don't have measurements for any of this. And to Will's point, even though our technology has gotten way better, our measurements aren't exactly an exact science, to use your phrasing. It's so interesting. Technology and baseball, it just doesn't – with everything you see in other sports, you think that it would always add up. And in 2022, like you said, well, we would have it all. We still don't. But, Jake, I'm going to give you credit. Thanks for taking one for the team on all the Rockies games that you've taken because that's definitely your sport over mine. But that is going to do it. Cowboys come out to practice tomorrow. We are so excited. Finally, hopefully, see some hitting, some real competition out there. That's going to do it, though. 5.30 tonight, May Cecil and myself will be back for training camp live. And then tomorrow morning, we'll see everybody then. 10.30. Bye, everyone.